This episode is proudly sponsored by The Helix, a new innovation district located in New Brunswick, New Jersey, the heart of the Northeast Corridor. The Helix provides a critical ecosystem for innovation by offering a range of physical environments, a vibrant community of leading innovators, and a strategic central location on the Northeast Corridor. The Helix will uniquely mix workspaces, classrooms, laboratories, venues, and collaborative environments creating a dynamic community and setting for innovative minds. Universities, startups, Fortune 500 companies, entrepreneurs, researchers, and many others will all call the Helix home. Thus far, the Helix has assembled a community of innovative private and public organizations, such as Rutgers Health, the New Jersey Innovation Hub, RWJ Barnabas Health, Hackensack Meridian Health, universities from Ireland and Israel, and others. The Helix is where ideas will come to life. To learn more, visit helixnj.com. From nj.com and the Star Ledger, welcome to the Rutgers Rant, your one-stop podcast for the Scarlet Knights, with your hosts, Steve Politi and Rutgers insiders Brian Fonseca and Pat Lenny. Let's start shopping. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Rutgers Rant. Politi here on a snow day. Kids get the day off. Full inch of snow on the ground. Back in my day, we'd go to school in this weather. It's it's disgraceful. But that's another topic entirely. Let's talk about some Rutgers basketball. We're at the stage of the season. The best way I can describe it is the stage when Tom Izzo says nice things about your team. Never a good sign. He was effusive in his praise. You would have thought back in the day that Eddie Jordan was going to the College Basketball Hall of Fame the way he praised that guy. Uh, said some nice things now about this basketball team after after a 20-point uh, Spartans win out in East Lansing. <sighs> Wasn't a lot of nice things that happened in that game. A couple of seven-minute scoring droughts. Uh, little Izzo had his moment of, of basketball brilliance. That poor kid has a, has a hairline issues already. I feel bad for him. So I'm glad he got it. Very happy for him to have that moment as someone who lost, who, who can relate to losing your hair in college. I can, I can, I felt, I felt the kinship with that kid. So good for him. But Brian, otherwise, this was not a, uh, a good performance basketball. No, not at all. You mentioned the two seven-minute droughts without a field goal. Uh, I looked into the numbers, and it's kind of happened often this season. I know Rutgers fans felt like it did, and the numbers back it up. Those two were the seventh and eighth time this year that they've gone at least six minutes without a field goal, and the result of that has been five of their losses, an almost catastrophic loss to Stonehill, and then they ended up beating Georgetown by 11 because Georgetown is one of the worst high-major teams in the country. I dove into the offensive numbers to look deeper into that, Rutgers is arguably, if not the worst, the second worst offense in high major hoops. Notre Dame is the only one with the worst efficiency margin. They have the worst two-point shooting percentage in the country. Their backcourt has three of the five worst two-point shooters in the country. Uh, the numbers aren't good. The numbers aren't good. And to touch on the Izzo thing, like it's a cool moment for the Michigan State people. The Izzo went nuts. The team went nuts. Izzo was crying and emotional in his post-game press conference, which is all well and good. It's a beautiful moment. And I think uh, I watched the interviews and read the stories. Steven Izzo was saying he wasn't sure he'd ever be able to score a point in college basketball. That was a dream of his, a dream for everyone around the program. And he did it in a really cool circus shot way over Rutgers. And he said uh, one of the cool things was that as he was going through the handshake line, uh, Austin Williams, a guy who he scored on, congratulated him. A lot of guys at Rutgers congratulated him, uh, which is cool. But, I mean, they got <laughs> 80. 
They got but... Aiden. Ter- they got Aiden Terried, man. They got Aiden Terried. Uh, when Aiden Terry came out against Minnesota last year and hit a three pointer, I thought the rack roof was going to explode, and I had to think, you know, it must be tough for Minnesota to be on the wrong end of this. And then I just watched Rutgers be on the wrong end of it for an even higher profile version of it. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to make a big deal of it. I'm not going to go radio host shock jock and say that Rutgers should have not congratulated him because they should. It's great. It's a cool moment. But that's just like the, the depths of that moment has to be one of the low points of, I'd say the low point of the season and one of the low points of recent years, right? Like, I don't know. I wouldn't go that far. We, I get it. A walk-on scores. You've had at the end of a, a game that got out of hand. I don't think we've seen the low point of this season yet, to be clear. Pat, I guess what I come back to when, when I'm reading that story, Brian wrote with all those numbers, like I was told that this was going to be a team that scored eight points a game. I mean, didn't Steve Peichel say that? Did I invent this? Like all of the glowing reviews coming out of practice was this was going to be a fun team to watch. It is not that. It is hard to watch this team when it plays offensively. It's just, it's bad. It is really bad. And you wonder like, where could this offense go to from here? And right. Like Peichel's whole thing in the, in his radio interviews and interviews around the Michigan state game where, Oh, you know, we might get these guys back. We have a feel, but like every game, it can't be a new guy coming back. Like he said that about Austin Williams. And now it's going to be on, on the two Og Bole and, and, uh, you know, Williams. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it's really bad when like your salvation is a, is is a lifeline that you wouldn't have thought it two months ago. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think all the hyperbole coming out of practice and that this was going to be such a great offensive team. Like, I I guess it's really good to bring it up because I think people are forgetting about that. It was so long ago and it's so unfathomable at this point that uh, it's good to refresh people that uh, that was definitely not true. All right, so uh, this thing still can be salvaged. It is salvageable at this point. I think we all agree that it's unlikely to be salvaged, but it's got to start with Nebraska on Wednesday night. Got to win that game. Nebraska's pretty good. I've, I've watched a little bit of them. They're a fun team to watch, on the, on the contrary to what we've seen with this Rutgers team. But then you're going to have to, you're going to eventually have to beat somebody that you're not expecting to beat. You know, yeah, you got two games against Purdue, you got two against Wisconsin. You know, I get it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of fat in that schedule, a lot of soft, uh, you know, games. But even like a Northwestern or a Maryland is better than we thought. I mean, you're going to have to beat someone, right? That we, that we wouldn't have expected. I think they absolutely have to beat Nebraska, which features uh, the male version of, uh, Caitlin Clark, Kaisei Tominaga is taking the, the college basketball world by storm. There are people flying in from Japan just to watch him play. He's a huge deal in Japan, apparently. Um, and he's awesome to watch, just takes shots from everywhere around the court. And is uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see a good contingent of fans at the rack to see him on Wednesday. Rutgers has to beat Kaisei Tominaga and Nebraska and get revenge for last year's loss at the rack. And you're right, they run great stuff. Fred Hoiberg is a great offensive coach. So they're going to have to contra- you know beat that and play better on the other end. And then they have to win one of their next two games at Illinois versus number one, Purdue. That's a game that if you win one of those, you give yourself a new life. You have a signature win to really hang your hat on and you enter February with not a great chance, but a, a, you know, at least a crumb of a chance to maybe make that miracle run that everyone is kind of hoping happens. Like you said, there are chances Wisconsin twice. That's great opportunities. And the softer part of the schedule is, is manageable. But I mean, Again, we're, we're kind of just looking at the best case scenario here. I think you've got to take it one game at a time and beat Nebraska on Wednesday. Because if you lose to Nebraska, then really 
I just don't see a path to anywhere. Yeah. I, I guess I'm when I when I think salvage now, Pat, I'm thinking I'm thinking, can you get into the position where in mid-February, like, okay, maybe the NIT. Like I'm not I'm, I've this team's not going to the NCAA tournament barring an absolute just complete change of of trajectory. Something basketball that we have not seen, the level of basketball competence that this team has not shown. If that doesn't happen, I mean, I you know, the NIT wouldn't be a terrible, at least you're in the postseason. I mean, it might be a nice accomplishment for this team. You could sort of write a narrative given what it lost in the spring, uh, building block for next year. I mean, let's kind of recalibrate what the expectations are. That said, got to win some games to do that. You just want to get to February and have some meaningful games, right? That's like always how you frame a losing season. Like make these games meaningful, uh, make it make people want to come and make it an attractive destination. That's got to be the goal. And to do that, you got to, like you said, you got to win a couple of them, right? Like the funnest times of this Rutgers basketball team is when they put together that incredible run to, to lock up their NCAA tournament bid a couple of years ago. And then just even the push that they showed, uh, you know, at times last year, right? Like they, they can get hot. That's been their MO. This team hasn't shown that yet, but uh, it's not impossible I, I would just say make these games in February meaningful, and, and that's right how you got to go approaching it. All right. Brian, you did see some good basketball, though. You made the, the three-hour trip up to Springfield, Massachusetts. Dylan and Ace again on the same court. Do these guys th – this is like a – do these guys set their own schedule now in high school? Is that how it works? I mean, you like – is this like the this is like the third time they've been in the same building for games, right? I'm not I'm not making it up. I mean, what who how, how does Don Bosco prep and some high school in Georgia get together and schedule the same? It's just weird, right? How does that work? Well, there are the prestigious tournaments that they play in Hoop Hall. The There's City a lot of them, though, Classic. I guess. I... Right, and I mean these are the higher end ones, right? And the, when yeah. you have a top five prospect on your team, you become an attractive destination because Don Bosco prep was not playing in these tournaments. You know, two, three years ago, and now that they have Dylan Harper, suddenly Hoop Hall is calling Kevin DeVario. Suddenly, City of Palms is saying, why don't you come down to Fort Myers, Florida and spend a couple of days here? That's the reason why, and I think uh, it's the fact that those two guys are great talents. To answer your other question, it was a three-hour drive up. It was about a five-and-a-half-hour drive down. Got into an accident. I, sorry, I did get into an accident. I There was an accident on the road, and I left during rush hour because I'm not very smart. So uh, I finally got back to Piscataway late last night. I wrote about Ace Bailey uh, for this morning. Uh, he is contending to be, per the people in the recruiting industrial complex, the top player in the 2024 class with Cooper Flagg. Uh, he didn't have a great day yesterday. His, uh, his knee was bothering him. It was his fifth game. Look at this. Talking about schedule. It was his fifth game in seven days across three states. What in the world? He's playing a harder schedule than some NBA teams. It's about to say, does he get a load management day here? What is this? He's ready. He's ready for the uh, the Raptors in 2025. Well, that's what he said, right? They got they off to a slow start. He said his team was tired. They were playing a little lazy. And he got into the huddle and he got on their ass. And he said, this is what it's going to be like in the pros. If you want to be a pro, you got to suck this shit up. That's what he said. <laughs> so some kid, there's got to be some kid on that roster going, oh, wait a minute. How did I get on the, the train here to the Sacramento Kings? Wait, wait, you know, some 5'11 guard. That's we uh, figured out if McGeechin is a public or private school yet. <laughs> I can't pronounce it. I give you credit for trying. McGeechin, okay. McGeechin. I don't know if that's right. I don't know if that's right. But McGeechin. It's crazy how much these kids are traveling. Like, I, Yeah, I can't imagine being like the 
the seventh guy on the bench for that team that's just <laughs> traveling every weekend across the country five games in seven days that's that's child abuse it's <laughs> <laughs> uh, good stuff but yes uh, he um I, he's contending with Cooper Flag who I watched on Sunday night his Montverde team is the best team in the country. They played prolific prep. Moat Mag's former high school and Jaden Jones' former high school, which is the second best team in the country, absolutely loaded with players, like six lottery picks. And you're watching these guys and you're thinking, this team is is good enough to beat most low major teams in college basketball. I, I know people won't agree with that, but you know, the guys like Tyron Stokes, the number one sophomore in the class, AJ DeBonsa, the number one junior, uh, Cooper Flagg, obviously the number one senior, high level stuff in front of dozens of NBA scouts. Um, so I, and I think the biggest compliment I can give is like, I think I could have seen Ace Bailey and Dylan Harper on that floor with those guys and not skip the beat and really even excel in that arena. So I, I didn't see a lot of Rutgers fans there, but I think any fan that did go there and watch them play can get really, really excited as, as one, I talked to one scout just about asking him about Ace Bailey and he says, you guys are going to have a lot of fun next year. You guys are really going to like it next year. So I think that's something that Rutgers fans in the darkest days of this season can look forward to. Ace Bailey dropped a little news nugget on Adam Zagoria when he asked if he's one and done. He said, that's the goal. I think, yeah. And we get this question every time we ask for questions from, you know, from the insiders. It's like, well, wait a minute. Are we sure these guys are going? Yes. The goal is they're going to go pro. Ace Bailey's now saying it out in the open. I mean, we haven't. We haven't heard the same thing from Dylan, have we? But uh, well, okay, so have to say it. I was there with with Adam when he asked this, um, and and he said it right. Like it's a it's a new nugget insofar as he said it out loud. But yes, everyone yeah, expects a top three guy to go. I, I I talked to Dylan on Sunday night. I didn't ask him. Next time I'll I see him. I guess I'll ask him. Hey, Dylan, do you plan on being a one and done? I can almost guarantee the answer is yes. Because again, as I said before, if they're not one and done, that's probably not a good sign. Yeah, very true. All right, speaking of true, let's do some true and false. I only got a few of them. They all stink, but you know how it works. Okay, true or false? Rutgers will hit the 80-point mark at least one more time in the last 15 games of this regular season. I didn't write this one. I wonder who did. I'm going with Brian. So, Pat, true or false? Are we going to hit eight points? I think, like, the law of averages, at some point, there has to be, like, just the game where they shoot actually really well so i'm gonna say true Brian, as mind-blowing as that sounds <laughs> i mean the law of averages but doesn't that require an average shooting team like i don't think i think this is very much a below average shooting team and i think uh i, I just can't see another seat and hall performance happening inevitably they're going to score 87 points on nebraska on wednesday but i will say false i just don't i never saw where the 80 point team was when they weren't dropping 80 points on low major teams i just can't imagine they're going to do it against the big 10 yeah, I'm 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 pretty heavy false on that one as well. Let's get to 60. Let's get to 70. All right. True or false, Austin Williams and Oscar Palmquist should start. Go with some senior leadership. I we had a fist pump in this in my Zoom window now. Pat Lanny is big team Oscar. You're Huge. going true on that. You're going true on that? Huge. Yeah, I am. Because Oscar Palmquist actually looks like a guy that wants to be out on that floor. Whoa! He's actually a guy that is playing with heart and doing things that doing the little things that matter, right? Like the little things that deserve to be rewarded. I'm, yes. I'm big on Oscar Palmquist. I thought he, he was actually playing well against Michigan state. Uh, yeah. Okay. He certainly had some nice basketball, basketball moments. Actually. Yeah, basketball IQ is high. Brian, you agree? 
I, I don't agree on Oscar. Sorry, Pat, but I will support Austin Williams because I think he should start. I think he's shown he's, if not their best guard, their second best guard. I think he's been their best guard when he's been healthy. So as long as his knee uh, lets him out there, lets him be out there, I think you ride Austin Williams 30 minutes a game and and hope for the best. Uh, I'm going false on both of those. And then you'll know my next, you'll know my answer for the next one. Screw that. Go with the full youth movement. True or false? Come on, guys. True or false? They got to just start playing these young guys and get get them ready, right? We need to see. We need to see some. We need to see some of the youth. Give me some more, Joe Michael Davis. As, as painful as that is, sometimes. True or false, Pat? You're going false. I'm going false. Let's get mm-hmm. through Nebraska first. All right, maybe you're right. Get through Nebraska first. Uh, we're not. Were we there yet, Brian? Were we there for the full youth movement? I'm with you. Saying true in spirit, I just do wonder, like, so Gavin Griffiths has played five minutes in the last two games, season low. Um, he just looks kind of he, meandering out there. Like, I, I can't really understand what the issue is, but I my concern with that is, like, if you play him 30 minutes a game and he's kind of just struggling, are we in danger of, like, an Art Sikowski situation where, obviously, it's not the same. Art Sikowski was a quarterback getting just absolutely crushed by grown men. That Chase Young's not, not going to kill him. Right. Like that's not going to happen, but I worry about like if Gavin shoots 26% over a 150 shot span, like you have a, a season's worth of sample size, like are, are they playing him too much too early? And I know that's crazy to say about a top 30 recruit. I would just worry about his confidence. And I'm sure that Steve Peichel has a better grasp on that than me. I am not sure if that's why he's not playing five minutes. I just think the fact he's only playing five minutes is not a great sign you really got to figure that out because yeah. you you got to hope that he's going to be a big part of next season. And if he's playing five minutes through the rest of the year, I just can't imagine he will be, right? Yeah, he plays five minutes and gives up two dunks during the five minutes. I think that's why he's playing five minutes. Uh, all right, true or false, Jeremiah Williams will play soon. Steve Peichel giving us a tease on this. I'm kind of out of nowhere. I don't know what um, – Brian, do you have any more information on that? It's just kind of like we, we might see these guys. I haven't gotten that. What What's the story? So let's go back to our – previous discussion about all the reports coming out of training camp about how good they are offensively. I I bring this up to say, take everything you hear from the program with a grain of salt going forward, right? Like this is Steve Michael was a guy who two weeks ago, I asked him about Jeremiah Williams. And it was like, I asked him about a random person in the middle of Ohio. He's never met. And he has no idea about the situation. And he is, he's, he's never talked to the NCAA like, and now all of a sudden he's talking about He's coming back, right? With with very little information. Like he brought it up to Andy Katz. He brought it up to radio before and after the game, hinting that he'll have a couple guys back, but no details. Like he didn't mention if the NCAA has resolved the case. He hasn't talked. Like he kind of just brought it up, right? Like dropped the, the little seed. Could Jeremiah Williams play against Nebraska? I wouldn't be surprised if the NCAA resolves this case. I would think it'd be a bit generous because for him to be eligible, that would imply he got a half season suspension. And B, that half season would be served through the first half of this year. Like he wasn't eligible for the first 14 games of the year. How could you be, how could you serve a suspension in a game you're not eligible for? Like that's the disconnect that I don't understand that why I'm a little skeptical, right? But if the NCAA suddenly is generous and for once decides to help Rutgers and to answer this question, will Jeremiah Williams play against Nebraska? I'll say false, but I, think it's certainly possible he does at this point i give up trying to figure out the situation yeah i think we sooner we're sooner going to see nasim brantley before we see jeremiah williams what the hell knows i could be wrong i mean i don't know um good answer though 
The random person from Ohio. I chuckled at that. All right. Uh, true or false? Reggie Sutton will start on the offensive line next season. A little uh, little tidbit, a little football news. We thought Reggie Sutton was a goner. He is coming back. The inspirational story, Pat. What do you think? Is he going to start? It would be really interesting if Reggie Sutton, who played right tackle this past season, went back to his original position as uh, a guard then you could ha- potentially have five returning starters on the offensive line wow. if either Needham returns at right tackle. So I think uh, I think either way, Reggie will be either a starter or like early on in the rotation of uh, offensive linemen. So uh, definitely yeah. true. That's a great point. If shifting him back to guard where it's a little bit less athletic, where he's required to do a little bit less, if Tyler Needham's ready to go. I don't know, Brian, what do you think? I totally agree. And I think he will be a factor next season, whether he starts or is a rotation guy. I still think they need to get an offensive lineman out of the portal. I wonder if him coming back is a sign that they've struggled with that, or if it's just independent that I don't know, but I think they need to get a guy for the right side of the line, whether it's a guard or a tackle to at worst, bolster the depth at best add a, a quality starter. Either way, I think they need to add at least one more body to that line, but they've built a great base with five returning starters and uh, some quality young guys in, in the in the pipeline. I think that position is in a lot better spot now than it was, say, two years ago. Yeah, I'm going true on Reggie Sutton, too. Don't bet against him, as we've seen. All right, tr- finally, true or false, Packers-Chiefs Super Bowl. It's going to be a Rutgers party in Vegas. How about that? A little Isaiah Pacheco, a little Bo Melton, opposite sides. I get two of my five columns already written, baby. I'll be at the craps table before the end of media night. I don't know. I mean, certainly I like the like the way the Packers look pretty freaking good in that game. The Chiefs got Patrick Mahomes. It's not crazy, Pat. What do you think? Uh yeah, not crazy. Not crazy. Sounds great for your from your perspective. So uh I will root for you to have a good time and have two of your five columns written. So yeah. true. <laughs> true. Uh Brian, you buying it or no? I could see it. I'm not betting against the Chiefs. They're literally the New England Patriots of today, right? Like, so I, I won't. But I mean, to to make you feel better, even if that doesn't happen, you have so many other Rutgers angles. You got uh, Gus Edwards on the Ravens. Mm-hmm. You got Christian Izian on the Buccaneers. You have, and this might be a little controversial, Jonah Jackson on the Lions. Uh, I know he what? transferred out of Rutgers, but he was there for four years. Oh, and, yeah. you know, I mean, do you think, would you consider him a Rutgers alum, even though he got his Absolutely. draft in Ohio State? I don't think that people did people uh, blame him for doing that at the time he did it. I don't think so. I mean, sure, yeah, yeah. I don't know if he's a great story like the way Bo Melton's a great story. Pacheco's always a good story. I'm not sure that you know Jonah Jackson's going to blow the roof off the internet if I write that. But still, yeah, the the Lions are a great story though. I would certainly, if I can't get Chiefs Packers, give me some uh, give me some Lions Bills. That be that be the second choice. That be give me teams that haven't won yet. So that'd be fun. Absolutely, yeah. Christian Isian would be a great story of an undrafted guy who is a starter on a Super Bowl team as a rookie, right? Like, it's Isaiah Pacheco 2.0, yeah. right? So Yeah, I don't think the Buccaneers are going to get there. That seems kind of, that seems like a long, that seems like a big ask for that team. I didn't watch the game last night. Did they just win because the Eagles are? Yes, because the Eagles were disgraceful. I think the word you're looking for is just, I mean, holy crap. Brad, some of the Bradbury tackles, it was bad. Yeah, the Eagles, the defense for the Eagles was just unbelievable. Matt Patricia, um, yeah, not good, not good. Experience the Heldridge Hotel, a luxury hotel that's perfect for both the business and leisure traveler. Ideally located within minutes of Rutgers University, the Heldridge is convenient to all the action and activities at SHI Stadium, Jersey Mike's Arena, 
and the Rutgers University campus. The moment you walk through the doors of the Heldridge Hotel and Conference Center, you know you're someplace different. A place with an independent spirit and a boutique vibe. A place where you can immerse yourself in your meeting or event as easily as you can the local culture. Located in the heart of the city, the Heldridge lets you experience all that New Brunswick has to offer. Whether you're coming to New Brunswick for a fun weekend with friends, in town for a Scarlet Nights game, or attending a business meeting, book your accommodations today at theheldridge.com. All right. Uh, good job, guys. Let's go to uh, insider questions. Um, I, I wrote in my note here the, the most popular question I called Cliff Stang for the one billionth time question. Got it uh, three times, four times. Any chance Cliff stays to boost draft stock? Peter in Palm City. Um, uh, does Cliff have another year to be with the incoming freshman, Jack from Bernardsville? Um, on and on and on we go. Um, no. Right. I mean, Cliff, uh, why would he? It doesn't look like he wants to be here now. I mean, the guy, I mean, we did the, we, we broke down the numbers, Brian. What was it like? His, his shot total, forget the scoring total. He's getting like six shots a game. Last year he was getting 10, like 10 or 11. I mean, it's just, it's, he's not getting the ball. The guards never pass it to him. There was one play, and I believe me, I'm as much as I am on the Jermichael Davis train here. There was one play late in that game when Cliff was leading the fast break and Jermichael Davis barreled into barreled into the guy in front of him for a charge as opposed to just just drop the just pass the ball in front of you you got a dunk I just stuff that just I mean I'm sure Cliff sees this and has to be like you know get me to get me to the Turkish elite league before you come back here that's my opinion yes he's taking three less shots per game exactly which is is I mean <laughs> If you're supposed to make this guy this focal point of your offense, you should probably let him shoot a little bit more. Uh, I do think he is frustrated with the guards that Jermichael Davis play is a great example. You often see him pointing up for an alley-oop, a play that they ran very often last year. Paul Mulcahy got him plenty of good passes. There's no Paul Mulcahy on this roster. I'm sorry to keep bringing that up. People get very upset when I do, but that's the truth. Uh, and they don't have a Cam Spencer shooting 40% on threes to open up the floor and space things out. Anyway, uh, do Rutgers fans want him back? Like they want to bang their head against the wall every time they watch him play this year. They want him back next year. I, I don't understand. That's a great question. I mean, it, it'd be different next year. You would assume it'd be different with Dylan Harper and Ace Bailey. He would have a different. He would have a different role. Wouldn't be. But defensively, I mean, yeah, I think you'd want to. You have. You would. You'd have to get a center in the portal. Given the choice between Cliff or imaginary player, you know, some guy you're pulling off of. Uh, I don't know Lehigh or. I, uh, this it's is a, so hard for fans to move on because they've seen this guy succeed at a high level. And then you just question like, what the heck happened? So you're, you're assuming as a fan, like this old cliff is going to just come back at some point. And I think that makes it so hard to, to grasp like this whole situation. So it's just kind of mind blowing. It's a, it's a moot point because he's not coming back. He said he's not coming back and he has another year. Yes, but I just would, I think everyone around the program, everyone, including us, would be surprised he comes back. Now you raise an interesting point, Kalidi. The, the devil you know, which is Cliff Omori for all his faults and all his good, the good things he does versus having to get a transfer portal uh, center. You'd think that having two NBA players would be an attractive option for a, a, a potential star center in the portal to come to Rutgers. You know, NIL be damned, but you do run that risk of having to maybe have to pick up a guy from Lehigh or or, or wherever. Uh, there's always also the possibility of playing Ace Bailey at center and doing a little five out action. But uh, I've seen enough Ace Bailey to think he's not 
physical enough inside to be able to play that position. Yeah. It, so I, it, it, that'd be rough. That's tough. That's yeah, a I big th- ask. Yeah, I think you're going to have to get a center. So I don't know. What do you? What do? You, what would? In, in a world where Cliff coming back is a possibility, what would you prefer? The devil you know, or the potential of the devil you don't? I think the devil you know, because he is also a good. I mean, he's, he's been a, he's been a big part of the program. I think you'd rather have him stay than try to. And I don't know because I don't show me the list of players. Like we we're doing this without knowing the options, I guess, which makes it a little harder. But like, who who's out there? I mean, can you can you upgrade on him? Are you getting someone who just be someone who's just going to rebound and set picks? Like, what kind of player are you getting here in the portal? I guess that's the question. And can Rutgers afford to get one player in the portal? That's another that's another big issue they're going to have, right? I mean, the big men, you got to figure that's good. Okay, maybe they'll want to come because they want to play with Dylan and Ace. They want to be in front of all the NBA. I get all that, but there are also a lot of places they could do that. Do they need to get a high, high-level center? No. Or do they just need to get a guy who could finish 60% around the rim, who can rebound at a reasonable rate, who could be a decent rim protector to supplement those guys? a good quality offensive center would be more than enough. Right. Yes. So you think you're going with option B. You'd rather have the W you don't know. Yes. And I think that's just, it's, I think it's also time to move on for everybody. I think Klumpfamori has cemented his legacy here at Rutgers. I think he's at an age where you got to kind of try your luck at the NBA. And if you don't get that, you go to, you know, like you said, Turkey. I'm not quite sure he's good enough for Turkey, frankly, but you know, but another European league, I just think it makes sense. Him coming back would be a bit strange decision all around for everybody. All right. Another popular question. I was, I thought this, we, I thought we'd start getting this one earlier because of um, the natural Rutgers-ness of the inquiry. Uh, if Rutgers continues to play so poorly, what are the chances Dylan Harper decommits? No. Zero. No. No. Right. I'm not, not going to decommit. I'm not, not going to entertain. I'm not going to entertain your neuroses here for the rest of the year. I understand it though. I get it. Like I totally understand the question. But you know, talk to your therapists. He's gonna. He's like at this. He is coming. He's committed to it. He's got family. It's Rutgers legacy. I mean, he's coming next year. He's just. He's coming. And Ace Bailey is not going to renounce his NLI and go sign somewhere else. And it's not happening. People, relax. Jesus Christ. Good things happen every once in a while, even for Rutgers. Everybody, calm down. You better be there when Dylan Harper signs his national letter of intent, Brian. I mean, you went to Springfield, Massachusetts. You better be in that Don Bosco prep athletic office the day that kid puts ink to paper. I am watching the paper going to the fax machine, driving to the rack afterwards, and getting on the other outside end. in Ramsey. <laughs> put yourself behind to get yes. the picture of that kid signing his NLI. I'm going to make him hold up the paper like the Wilt Chamberlain 100 paper. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, did you guys see Stephen Izzo held up a paper with the three on it like Wilt Chamberlain? No, I didn't see that. Really? Yes. All right. Lot. This is the third most popular question, which we got a couple of times. Uh, will Pykele be able to get the most out of the talent he'll have next season? I mean, you, you kind of you can look at the last month of how Steve Peichel's coached, or you can look at the last eight years of how Steve Peichel's coached. I think you probably should look at the last eight years. He has gotten uh, a good deal out of lesser talented players. It's going to be interesting. Like he's never had this dilemma. He's never had this challenge. He certainly never had a player as talented as either Ace or um, uh, Dylan. But, you know, it's also, I mean, those guys are going to make him look good. 
make him look like a good coach too. There's going to be that element of it. Let's not forget, like, you know, we like a lot of times what we blame coaching on, it's just, it is guys missing shots. It is just the lack of basketball competence. Like uh, that, that's just, that's just talent. I mean, I think, I think Steve Peichel will get enough out of both these two, both these guys. Pat, you agree? I, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's a really interesting point that you brought up that he's, his job is going to shift from like, how do we get the most out of these guys? Like, how do we manage these guys expect or the expectations around these guys? Uh, how do we deal with the the star player that maybe we haven't had at this, or certainly haven't had at this level before. Like it's almost become a, you have to put your manager hat on as opposed to your X's and O's hat on. I think uh, that'll be interesting but I don't, I don't see there's any reason why he can't get them the best out of them or, or draw things up to make them look really good. So I'm not that worried about it, but I, I think it's a great question and something to think about. I think what is in their favor is that a lot of times the offense seems like it depends on the talent of individual players to make plays. And that works a lot better when you have Dylan Harper and Ace Bailey, as opposed to some of the guys they have now and have had in the program. Uh, it, it'll, a lot of people complain that Rutgers does not run an offense l- like Nebraska, which runs NBA stuff, or like Iowa, which always seems to be able to scheme guys open and have open shots. Rutgers is a lot of isolation and really beating your man one-on-one, which, again, will work a lot better next year. What I think their bigger concern will be is defensively, right? Like, you had guys, these scrappy, underrated players, always bought in defensively and knew that the key to playing was you exert yourself on the defensive end, have one of the elite defenses in the country, and then on offense, you kind of have some freedom. Will Dylan Harper and Ace Bailey buy into that? I think they will. I think Ace Bailey is a good defender. I've seen him play enough to believe that when he's locked in and playing hard, his length makes him a very good rim protector and a good defender. And I think Dylan Harper is more than competent on that end. But playing high-level defense in college is always a major question mark for these highly ranked kids. That, to me, is the bigger question. I think offensively, these kids are so good that no matter what coaching instruction they're getting, I don't think... like Steve Peichel can help but get the best out of these guys offensively just because they're that good. All right. Well, let's see. We've got one more basketball question. We've always had a go-to player, whether it was Phil Sailors, Ron Harper Jr., Gio Baker, even Cam Spencer. Who is our go-to guy in this team? I think we have you have drilled down to the problem that player does not exist. It's not going to be Andre Hyatt. It's not going to be – I mean, I guess it is Andre Hyatt, right? Not going to be a Moat Mag. Uh, you've got role players who are trying to trying to be that guy, and and that's that's part of the problem. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like to me, just watching the last game against Michigan State, you're you're always looking for the guy that's gonna put the ball in the basket. Really, that's the bottom line. And and it was Moat Mag in that game. Uh, it's been Andre Hyatt a couple of times. Austin Williams against Indiana. You just yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head, Steve. Like it's just you're looking for a player that doesn't exist. To Andre Hyde's credit, he's having a decent season, right? Like I I think he's playing better even than I thought he would play. I just don't know if he's at a level where he can, you know, carry a team like Ron Harper did and and Geo Baker did. Which exactly. Is just, yeah. That's not his fault. That's just kind of he's in a position where, you know, he's probably better off as a secondary tertiary scorer. And now they're depending on him to be the primary scorer, and I just don't know if he's capable of doing that. I I love this question about the national championship game. I know it's uh, the week old, but uh, referring to the Michigan-Washington game, Michigan played very much a Shiano game. Run hard, wear him down, 
powerful physical defense past Lest. What do you think? Lanny, I know you think this is the case. You were telling me this is Shiraka ball, right? You you were texting yeah. me about this. This was like, this was it. That's a formula. Yeah. And it goes against everything you watch in the NFL and the way football is trending, right? It's all about the flashy offense, but Michigan proved that you could you could you could play Shiraka ball if you have a quarterback that can convert on third and medium the way that J.J. McCarthy was so accurate and effective with his legs. I think that's the missing piece that Rutgers doesn't have. It has Rutgers has the good defense. It has the good running game, uh, but it doesn't have the the <laughs> the quarterback play to to really make that uh, make that whole thing come together. So I, I I was I was really I really liked the the style that Michigan played with all year long, and they never changed that identity. That's what good teams do. They they impose their will, and I thought Michigan did that in every game they played, and it was it was great to see it at at the championship level. It was very impressive. It helps to have the best offensive line in college football. That certainly helps. I, I agree with the quarterback thing. The offensive line played obviously a massive part. Jalen DeBoer going to Alabama. Another piece of good news for next year's Rutgers schedule. I mean, I like I get it. They're not. It's Washington's still going to be a lot more talented than Rutgers, but I don't know. I'm going to take a step back. Certainly losing Michael Penix too. I mean, it's not going to be. That's just another, another chunk. If you look at a next year's schedule, the time to strike. 2024 Rutgers football. More proof of that. Uh, all right. Wrestling question. What? Bob Maplewood wants to know um, what wrestler is most likely to get to the, get the highest podium position this year. I'm thinking John Posnanski, who seems at the top of his game. Posnanski should be at the top of his game. This is his 12th season in Rutgers wrestling. As far as I'm, as far as I'm, uh, seems yeah. like it. Seems like it because he took last year off, right? Oh, he took last year off. That's your guy. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, uh, I would agree with Bob from Maplewood. John Posnanski has looked tremendous this season. He's also the guy that's been the highest Rutgers finisher on the podium since Ashnault and Soriano when he finished fourth uh, two years ago or three years ago, rather. Um, He he bumped up a weight class to 197 and he's he's looked really good doing it. So he's... uh, definitely in the mix. I, I think it's really fascinating. There, there are a bunch of guys that are going to be an all American contention. It's probably the most that Rutgers has had maybe ever. Um, if not, maybe the other years like 2015, 16. Um, but it's, it's going to be an exciting uh, postseason for sure. All right. So can you project the, all someone, I think this is JP's question. Can you project the all Americans moving the meat of the wrestling schedule? What, what can you give me a, yeah, yeah. I mean, there there are it's there are five guys that are ranked right in that mix that are going to be right in the top eight uh, position heading into uh, March. So, and, and really, it could be six if you include Dean Peterson, who was number two at his weight class before he got upset. Now he's thirteen, um, but you go across the board at one twenty five. Peterson one thirty three. Dylan Chauver has looked really, really good. Uh, 41, Mitch Moore, he's a graduate transfer. He's banged up right now, but he could be in the mix. He's a top 10 guy. Uh, and then and then you bump up to their their rung of upper weights, which are incredible. Uh, Brian Saldano is a wild card at 84. Poznanski we talked about at 197. And then the heavyweight, Yaroslav Akuski, has just been tremendous. He's undefeated as well, so... 
six names that that are all going to be right in the mix and and they're they're certainly capable of getting it done so could be a really uh bountiful year which could lead to a top 10 finish in, at the national tournament too which is would be their their best since Ashnal and Soriano you've got an interesting story coming up right on on Goody's yeah. Goody's plans for a team, a NCAA team tournament. Can you tell us yeah, a little bit about that? Yeah, if you're following Goody on Twitter, he's, as he says, banging the drum to bring this national team tournament uh, to fruition. Uh, it's a grassroots movement, right? He's just vocalized it on social media. Uh, the NCAA wrestling committee's considered it. There's no real sign that it's going to happen or anything like that. But the bottom line is, uh, in wrestling, a, a team championship is crowned at the individual tournament based on how wrestlers advance and how many guys, you know, win their weight class or advance, whatever. It's, it's almost like track and field or swimming. You just get points based on advancement or placement. And Goody's whole argument is that to grow wrestling and to make it a sport that people really watch, like volleyball, uh, like like he uses volleyball as, as an example because it's exciting and, and people get behind a team that you can if you can get an average fan someone like steve politi who doesn't watch wrestling to watch a dual meet because it's only 90 minutes and it has that exciting team appeal that that's better off for a championship format so yeah it's a pretty uh it's an interesting argument and uh the the people that don't want to just say like it's you can't make it happen in the time frame of the season and it's too close to the qualifying tournaments. And it's really an individual sport at the end of the day. But for someone like me who came up watching it in high school where you have a team portion of the season and then an individual portion of the season, like I, I totally support Goodell's argument. I think it's, yeah, it's, I think it's interesting. I like people thinking outside the box. I mean, I it seems it, I get the feeling that adding anything to the, to a, to a championship season has got a very slim chance of happening. Sure. Um, but still, I mean, hey, kind of a cool idea. Yeah, it's great. And it's great that, you know, Goody's one of the guys leading the charge. He's mm -hmm. never afraid to speak his mind. And I think that's really good from a Rutgers perspective as well. I don't All understand right. why the NCAA would not want it if it's – it'll just make them more money, right? Like, I, I, you just expand the season more. When does it start? December? Yeah, uh, November, really. Um, but, but uh, yeah, it's just uh, from what – Scott Goodell said to me, it was like one of the reasons the NCAA doesn't want to do it is because it only wants to give out one championship. And it feels that having these two tournaments contradicts its like main philosophy, uh, which is just right. another antiquated NCAA thing that just makes no sense. Yeah. Blame the old bureaucracy of the NCAA. Yes. The college wrestling playoff committee. Like exactly. That's exactly how, it, you know, you'd have to get the, the teams in there. You'd have to have a committee and ranking system. So that's part of the plan too. Like, because right now the coaches just come up with a coaches poll and that's kind of like the top 25, but his idea would to be, you know, just like the college football playoff committee, get the top 24 teams and that would be your field. I like it. I'm in. Count me in goody. Let's go. Right. What else we got? Anything? Like, don't, don't talk women's basketball. We don't have, um, we talked. We did our wrestling segment. We, uh, oh, um, players coming to campus. I saw some videos. Some football guys arriving. Um, that's cool. Anything yeah. else? Yeah, oh. no, I think uh, that was that's a good uh, a good little football update. Just the some mid year transfers arrived on campus. We don't have the full list, but you know from the videos we saw and stuff, it looked like 
Gabe Winovich was there and uh, Taj Sanders out of Burton Catholic were two of the guys I saw. So I think those are two guys that it would be really cool to see on the field early new, on. New outside linebackers coach, Bill Belichick. <laughs> man, man, come on, yeah. man. Maybe Steve I, Belichick. Steve Belichick. That's actually not. Right? He's not crazy. That's not less crazy. <laughs> Sorry to uh, burst the bubble. Steve was invited back to the Patriots by Jared Mayo. Uh, Bill is probably going to be hired by somebody. <laughs> and uh, the another guy in the NFL that was linked was uh, Tim Lukabu. I coached that Rutgers before. He's coached with Shiano in the past. He's been invited to interview with. I believe the Patriots, which would imply that he's going to stay in the NFL and not drop down back to college to coach a position, right? So um, that position is an important one. I, I haven't heard anything about when it'll be filled. And the other coaching things I would follow is like, there's two guys on the staff whose contract runs out in that next month, Drew Scary and Demir Shaw. I imagine those two guys will be renewed in the near future. Uh, so something to keep an eye on. All right, gentlemen, good job. I'll be there. I'm going to go. I'm going to try to go uh, to Nebraska game. Brian, you'll be there. We'll be back. I don't know. If they win, soon. If not, eh, talk to you like uh, spring game, spring game. I'm kidding. We'll be back uh, eventually to uh, to talk some hoops. Uh, but until then, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Rutgers Rant. To participate in the conversation and receive live updates about the Scarlet Knights directly to your phone, sign up at nj.com slash insider.